Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Coaching Coordinator Podcast. We're talking with the former assistant tight ends coach at Buffalo and offensive quality control. Now linebackers and assistant defensive coordinator at the Potsdam Royals uh, Club in Germany, Phoebe Schechter. Phoebe, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been chatting for months months and months now so to actually have this conversation is is pretty exciting I know we were trying to get this done during the holidays and we kept having like holiday stuff get in the way of it so I'm I'm happy that we finally have you here on the show and I think you know you have a lot of insight to offer into uh, your journey along the way and some of the things that you've learned yeah I hope to I mean my my journey has not exactly been straightforward or you're, I guess, a typical kind of linear uh, line stuff here. So uh, hopefully there's some things and some mistakes that I've learned along the way that I, I can share with others and they can take forwards. Well, let's talk about your journey into the game. And, uh, you know, for you, it began in the UK. Uh, you didn't go to the UK to get involved in football. You were involved in equestrian. But tell us how this all came about. Yeah, definitely. So I moved over to the UK almost nine years ago now, like you said, to work with horses. Um, I had a great job with a guy on the Dutch Olympic team who was actually based right in England. And and soon after that, I mean, horses in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parallels to football in terms of the time. It's a 24-7 job. And I was just looking for a way to meet people outside of that world. And I saw an ad on social media for American football. um, And I just felt like, the timing could not have been any better. Um, It was something I was missing in terms of that American culture and, and just make some friends as I moved over by myself. So despite never really watching the sport when I lived in America and never playing a contact sport, I just went for it because I think when you're out of your comfort zone, you're so much more willing to take risks. And that's what I did. And it was the best and biggest uh, change in my trajectory that I could have ever imagined. So when you look at our game, you know, not a lot of, and, and you know, it's mostly males, but I, I do see the female game growing, and I think that's a great thing. You know, we now have actually varsity uh, 
athletics varsity uh, football for flag football in the NAIA, and we see this growing around the country in high schools as well. Uh, a little bit of a different game. You know, boys typically are out in the yard, rough and tumble, playing ball like that, start to get a feel for contact. So have never played a, a contact sport before. What was that first experience like for you as an adult? Yeah, and it's, I, truthfully, and this is where I go back to the horses, I'm really glad that I grew up in that sort of world because I was kind of used to that rough and ready attitude. Um, and you're dealing with big animals, so you're kind of pushing them around, they're pushing you around, and you fall off a horse an awful lot. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we do now with any of our females that start playing the sport we actually have a day where we will, we, will prep, we will teach them how to fall because it's a skill that if you've never done that or you've never done gymnastics, for example, you don't know how to fall. You put your hands out and you can get you know, wrist issues, all of that. So, you know, when I first actually hit somebody, it was like I probably had zero technique, but it was probably the best feeling that I had felt in so long. And almost that initial impact for me that's that's what I crave now when I play the sport you know that's like my form of meditation where you don't think about anything else you just focus on the game ahead of you and the ball carrier whatever that may be and and that element of it is so you know I just want more of it <laughs> so you're you're bit by the football bug over there and and you're playing the game and this passion for it is developing how do you really start to learn the game now uh, to learn all the you know, the strategy, the techniques, all the things that really go into this game, which is, is I mean, that's that's not a small library of things to learn. That's that's a lot of stuff. No, absolutely. And so I've started, you know, I started attending our, our coaches clinics over in the UK, looking online because I knew if I wanted to get to the place where I thought I could be within this sport. And I never thought that coaching at the most elite level was necessarily my end goal at first. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think I just had to really upskill myself as quickly as possible by fully diving into it. So, for example, I changed my career path. I stopped working with horses and I got involved in more of the like personal training, strength and conditioning side so that I could therefore tailor my schedule towards, you know, being able to play or be able to help my teammates out. Um, and I think diving in like that was massive because it was almost a statement that I needed to make towards myself to say, this is going to be my career path. But having the ability to sit in on meetings or shadow as many programs as possible, I think that's been really imperative to my development, especially for me as a learner. I can watch a lot on screen. I can do a lot of, you know, clinics like that. But in person for me and that kind of hands-on kinesthetic learning is definitely the way I've found that I learned the best. When I was coaching, I had a lot of books I would go back to every single year that became part of like what I would do with X's and O's. So when you look at some of those early resources that you came across, what are some that really made an impact on you and, and you think you know helped you progress in the way that you've learned the game? Yeah, and, and really it was um, speaking to some of my high school coaches, like literally having a person as a resource who I could ask a million annoying questions to because keep in mind, I pretty much knew nothing about the sport. So yes, I had my coaches from like our national program set up, but for women back then, 
we were just trying to get girls to play the game. They didn't really teach you as much of those in and outs of the sport as you needed. So for me, it's actually being able to talk to a coach. So I have, you know, my original high school coach who I was able to, to converse with and um, Wayne Hill in the UK, being able to ask them questions because I just needed to understand why we were doing this or what this is called this for or, or what that X and O scheme meant. Um, and that was probably the best opportunity for me to learn. And I'd look through resources, you know, I looked online um, through multiple websites. I'd, I had some great books that people had passed on to me um, and, and I can still reflect on now, but I still find being able to talk to someone who can fully explain why I'm doing something or why we, we call it something really just helps that information sit with me much better. Yeah, and we are in a time now where that part has expanded greatly in, in the last year. As I was telling you before we got going, you know, I ran the first virtual football clinic, 170 speakers. We had over 8,800 in attendance over the three or four weeks that we did this. And, and it's just been a boom from there with coaches being able to get on Zoom and ask questions like that. So those resources uh, are certainly available today. Um, but it's still being able to kind of find some of those mentors, some of those people who can get you more into the why. And the why has been a, a big part of it for you, and we're going to get into that uh, in a minute. But let's talk about this transition then and the opportunity you get to be in the NFL. How how did that happen for you? Yeah, and it still is a, a pinch me moment that that happened. I remember the year before I went out to training camp in, in 2016, um, we used to have these things called – uh, women's world games and essentially you know we have I think 25 different countries represented and uh, just women from across the world doing a five-day camp and going over the sport of football you play some games at the end and they started doing a careers forum attached to that as well um, so Sam Rappaport and, and the NFL organized this and it was a great opportunity to pick the minds from this incredible panel so you're Scott Pioli's, Kim Bagula's, Dean Blandino, you know, Ron Rivera, like every incredible person from every facet of, of an NFL organization. Uh, and that was really the start of it. And off the back of that, uh, Sam recommended that I apply to the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship, um, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. But in essence, it's a gateway opportunity for minorities to try and experience what the elite level of like and you choose five teams and go through a bunch of interviews hoping that you get picked essentially to go out to a training camp or an OTA session or something like that um, so for me I'd actually been in contact with Scott Pioli he was with the Falcons at the time and pretty much almost decided to go with him I heard back from three of the other teams and they'd all said no um, and it was between him, the Falcons and, and the Bills. And I hadn't fully had that conversation with Buffalo yet. But um, I remember leaving a meeting from the NFL office in New York with Scott and getting a call from Coach McDermott. And he, he called me and he said, uh, you know, hi, obviously this is Coach McDermott here. Are you speaking with any other teams? And I wanted to be really transparent. And I said, yes, I'm speaking with Scott and the Falcons. And he said, uh, okay, well, tell Scott you say thank you but you're going to be a bill now and that was it for me you know that confidence the way that he was able to just really get me to buy in and, and 2017 is when I went out to my first training camp and originally I was with defensive backs with Buffalo so that was 
yeah, a pinch me moment again. <laughs> so, you know, we've seen a, a, a lot of uh, the change in females really being becoming part of this game, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Sarah Thomas officiating or uh, a number of, you know, Katie Souter uh, at, at the um, 49ers or uh, um, Dr. Jen Welter, who was a part of this too. And uh, so we see that that's expanding. But you said it's one of those questions you get all the time. It's the elephant in the room. For you, what was it like to really step into a man's world like that? Yeah, and I think one of the things as a coach that you have to consider is when you're in these environments, it's you can't be thinking, I am the only female in this room, or gosh, there's <laughs> there's a lot of people here that don't look like me. Right. Because if you're concentrating on that, then you're not going to be able to be your best version of you for your players or for the rest of your staff. I think what's really important is to have people around you that or an organization that is really progressive and inclusive and genuinely wants that diversity of thought and that, that diversity of background. Because if you've got people that think differently, you can have more creativity if it's, you know, on the um, offensive scheme or whatever that looks like. But you also have people that will then be able to relate to your players better, which in turn you should hopefully get more out of them. So, you know, I think, I think the element of, of being the only female isn't, I think that's not a bad thing because a lot of my players felt more comfortable opening up to me, you know, that I wasn't going to react perhaps the same as some of the other coaches. And, and then on the other hand to that, we, we need males that are in these spaces to help bring females into these spaces, you know, people like yourself who are sharing the stories or experiences of other coaches. But I think you need, those people at the top, like your Scott Pioli's or Sean McDermott's who are willing to take that risk and put diversity out there and show that you can be successful. I mean, gosh, look at, um, you know, Tampa Bay, they have the most diverse coaching staff and look how successful they have been. Um, so we just need people like that out there showing the world that we want the top to look different. When I talk to coaches on this podcast, time and time again, we hear about the importance of the player-coach relationship, that if you're able to build that, if you're able to have that connection, then you're going to be able to get more out of that person. You're going to ha be able to help them develop as, as much as they can. I heard Urban Meyer on a podcast say you can only develop people as, as far as they trust you. And for you, as I, I asked like you, that. what were some of the unique things for you that you really felt helped you become part of this, help you successfully coach these guys while you were at the Buffalo Bills. And you mentioned exactly that, the connection, the interpersonal part. And you, you mentioned that a little bit there. So um, in that, is it something that right away that you saw that develop because you were comfortable with it? Or was that something you had to work at? I think it's something that naturally everyone has to work at, just especially if you're at the any level, you don't want to just show up and expect people to trust you or believe in you. They need to know more about you. Um, so for example, my first year, our DB is, I was with Gilbert at the time and he was like, we have got to find a way for these guys to kind of buy in. Essentially. They don't, they don't know me from Adam. They don't know what I've done or, or anything like that. And so what we ended up doing was putting together a highlight tape of my tackling, um, 
you know, so we did, I play American football, but I also play a crazy sport called Kabaddi, which is like all about tackling and MMA. And it's like, it's mad. So I took a bunch of highlights from those and we showed that to the player. And that's kind of that first step to be like, okay, you see me on tape that I will give a hundred percent effort that my tackling is, is really what I specialize in um, and what I love and I'm passionate about the sport. And that was kind of that first step, but the rest of it now is, is the consistency. You know, I'm, I try and bring positive energy every day, no matter if we we're coming off a win coming off a loss, I'm always going to show up and be the same for someone. And you know, even something like in the mornings working out. So we'll, we'll get our 5am workouts as a, as a coaching staff, but then the players see you working hard and putting in that effort to yourself as well. And these little things kind of add up time and time again. And I think that's really important because trust is built off of shared experiences. And, you know, if it's something as simple as, all right, every time a player is going to ask me what time our next meeting is, if I can give you that exact answer immediately, they're now going to come back to me every single time. Um, and it was great, you know, being with the tight ends, we were able to to really challenge each other and quiz each other. And, you know, I'd ask them questions and they'd be able to ask the same back. Um, and, and that relationship just kind of kept flourishing over time as I built my trust with them. So it kind of naturally happened, but we just needed something to kickstart that. And having that carryover from my first year with the, the DBs, then when I went back onto the offensive side with tight ends, I mean, I'd already had that rapport with my players previously and and they're able to share that word of actually she's a great coach or she's you know she'll she'll really help you out here um and it doesn't necessarily have to be the x's and o's you know it could be my snc background helping some of the guys if they have any problems there you know you just want to you just want to be there for them however they need as long as you're there to get them better that is all that they care about when when you think about um today's players, today's kids, you can hear about this all the time, whether it's in the classroom, on the field, and, and extending all the way up into college and, and grown men in the NFL. You know, when I played the game, coach said jump, you said how high, and today, you know, coach says jump, and the player says why. So you have to be able to, <laughs> you have to be able to, number one, be accepting that you're allowed to ask why, but also be able to have uh, those answers. Talk to us about how that's been important for you. You mentioned it a little bit there, but if you would dive a little bit deeper on that. Yeah, of course. And I, and I think that's totally right. And actually coaching women is probably what has helped make me a better coach because women ask why. It doesn't matter if you're in sports or you're just everyday life. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced it too. We want to know why for everything. And you know, if, if we're saying at the elite level or any level, we want you to be able to play fast on Sundays. We want you to, you know, play with no fear. Well, in order to do that, I better have you asking why all week, because I can't be on the field with you on Sunday. That's your time to be free and have fun and just enjoy yourself. So that why element of it has become such a a big part of coaching nowadays, which like you said, didn't used to be the way. So when we're, we're talking to our guys, I want, I want them to be able to coach me up. I want them to teach me because if they can prove that or coach and know and get everything right, then I know what they know. A lot of times we get this problem of, of humility essentially where, 
someone will, will pretend like they know the answer or can just kind of blag it. But you need more depth to that in order to be truly successful. The surface level is not going to cut it for you anymore. Does that drive your professional development now, being able to be to dig into that more and uh, I guess stay ahead of the game and, and understanding all the different whys that are in this, whatever <laughs> aspect of that you look at? Yeah, 100%. And I've had to, in order for me to upskill myself over the past few years, because again, I, I knew nothing really about the sport. I, I personally know that I need to understand why I'm doing something or why I'm being asked to do something or why I'm asking a player to do something. And so now I think also being around other coaches who have that same mindset, we're really able to build each other up and, and really kind of help each other in that way. Um, and, and obviously people like yourself who are out there, you know, doing these great podcasts for people to tune into and understand, okay, well now I understand X, Y, and Z, or, you know, just really, really helping on the development side of things. Uh, I just think it's been, it's been so important to my, my development just cause I, I literally knew nothing about this sport eight years ago uh, and have been fortunate to, to kind of build over a four-year period to get up to the elite level. So you were a part of the Buffalo Bills as, you know, what we've seen progress here, what they've become. You, you started to see these things at the beginning here, and you've seen this progression now, even though you haven't been a part of it. What, you know, from being on the inside and, and then being able to observe and, and see where they've grown to, um, what's really been the key to uh, their turnaround? Um, I think the first thing that Coach McDermott did was he brought everyone from the organization together. So not just your coaching staff or your, your front office. He brought, like, the chefs. He brought the ticket sales. He brought anybody that was involved within the Bills organization all together. And he let them know very clearly what his vision was, what the messaging was. And essentially, you know, if you're not on board, then it's all right. We'll see you later. And I think that was really key because he set those expectations and the standard from the beginning. And then it was for everyone else to get that repeated messaging out and, and make sure there's a big culture buy-in because yes, there's really great um, owners there, an amazing head coach, of course, but now it's those positional coaches that are really the ones that are going to have to connect with the players and you know, how much, how much time these players spend in with the athletic trainers, they have to be getting that same messaging across. So all these people that are surrounding each player every day, they all have to be giving that same mindset, that same messaging to them. Um, and I think that was a really big part of it. And again, obviously the repeated messaging constantly, but I think one of the other important things is, is realizing, you know, just like when you're in college you might not have the guys on your team that you necessarily want when you first come to an organization. And sometimes if you don't necessarily have the right guy that fits your culture, they can become a bigger cancer to the team than, than it's worth essentially. And I think going, getting rid of some of those players um, was, was really imperative to the growth of the team because one bad apple sending one different message to what you're trying to get across can lose trust in your coaching staff. It can be so distracting. And I think 
that was not easy to figure out just like with any new organization, but that was a, a really important thing. Um, and then the last bit of it would be the reflective uh, piece. So I remember when we were uh, losing in 2018, we hadn't had a great season and midway through the season, coach McDermott for all the coaching staff together and said, I want, I want you to give me feedback on either what I'm not doing well enough or how we could be better. And he took feedback from all of us and reviewed it and then acted upon it. But for a head coach in general, mind you in the middle of a season to be asking for that level of feedback and criticism to see what he's doing wrong, because his accountability is so incredible. It's, it's, probably one of the biggest things I've learned from him is that accountability piece. So if something goes wrong, he always looks at himself first, not necessarily to the coaches or players. Um, so those three kind of pieces together have been exactly why bills have now been so successful four years on believing in that process. It takes time. And, and now obviously we're all able to witness their success and, and I'm sure that will continue to be successful. I really like that reflection part. And I know when uh, I was actively coaching uh, and, and really teaching too, I did the same thing for teaching is, you know, at the, at the end of the practice, at the end of my class, whatever it might be, I would take that script, that practice plan. And throughout I had been writing notes and I would really reflect on, you know, what did I do today? What could I do better? What do I have questions about? And I'd always, yeah. you know, write those questions down and, and I'd save every single one of my scripts and schedules and lesson plans and followed away. And then, you know, for, for me as a teacher, it was always into the quarter, but as, as a coach, it was into the season, then going back through and looking at what were some of the big questions that I saw come up um, in, you know, areas where I can develop. So just wondering, do you have um, yourself a, uh, a process or things you do to be able to reflect on the job you're doing when, when you're out on the field coaching. Yeah. And for me, I, I know that my memory is not always on point. I mean, some of these coaches are unbelievable with their memory. So, you know, we'll have an index card that I use throughout practice where I can jot down something as I, as I see it. Um, and, and I, as someone that's still learning too, speaking with my coach, I was with so Rob Boris, asking him for feedback, looking to others to, to really give me that constructive criticism to see how could I have been better. But I think it's been really helpful too, to be around coaches that have had such great experience in the game. So again, talked about Rob Boris, he, I was his first intern that he's ever had um, in his, I think now 15 years of coaching. So he made me a much better coach because I always had to be thinking two steps ahead of him because he was so used to doing that. So I was always having to think, okay, where do I need to be? What do I need to set up? How does that all work? And also when we look back on film, actually viewing ourselves as a coach. So yes, obviously watch our guys do our standard feedback, but if you get time, watch yourself as a, as a coach and almost do film review on yourself. What is your body language? What is your positioning in the drills? Could I have seen something a bit better if I stood over here? Um, was I able to give the guys as much feedback? You know, am I taking advantage of every second within a practice? And that's been quite an interesting look on things. I know there's a lot of coach developers out there who will 
watch other coaches and, and give them feedback that way. But sometimes for ourselves to review that, um, I've found that to be interesting and found there's ways that I can, I can be better, you know, and get more information across to our guys, whether it's they've done a rep, I'm going to run down there with them and I'm going to feed back to them on the way back just so that I've got enough time to get back for the next one. Yeah. I, I really think uh, with the ability for coaches out there to, you don't need a camera. You have it on your phone. Uh, find somebody who's injured, find a manager and you, maybe you can't yep. do this every individual period, every, every week. Cause there's not somebody there for you to do it. But I mean, if you can, you know, tell them stand here, view the, or record this whole session for me and then go back. I mean, our individual periods are usually what, 10 to 15 minutes. doesn't take yep. a lot of time to go through. And like you said, are you in the best position to coach that drill? What are your coaching cues? You know, I had a, a couple coaches, uh, Matt Drinkle and, and, and Brent Dearman on recently talking about exact those exact things, the language we use, the, the coaching cues that we use. Uh, so important to getting instruction across to our players so you can continue to develop the, the language that you use to coach your players. Um, I think the great yeah. coaching point, I can't remember which, which one of them it was or it could have been someone else previously on the, the podcast said, you know, if, it's, if your coaching point and the things that you're saying over and over again is something that your mom in the stands could say, then it's probably not a good coaching point, right? So uh, just things to think about. It's it's all about reflection. I mean, you become better by being able to view yourself and reflect on how you're doing things and being able to use a simple tool like your your iPhone to record practice and review it afterwards. Exactly. And like you're saying, you know, you don't need much, an injured player, a tripod, whatever that is, but it will add so much value to you and, and to your practice and um, no, I would definitely recommend it. Something that in the UK we've been, we've been trying to get everyone on board with doing and the ones that have done it have found so many positives with it so far. So you've come at this whole thing. We started talking about equestrian and you've learned from other sports and you still take that approach though and, and see opportunity for coaches to develop, enhance what they're doing by looking outside of our game and looking at other games as well. Um, what ideas do you have about that that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, and I think we're in a time now, I mean, this past year has been crazy for a lot of reasons, but it's actually opened up so many more opportunities to speak with people we probably never would have had the chance to speak to. And one of the things that I've really invested in over the past year is speaking to coaches from academies, from other sports, whether it be rugby, hockey, you know, and just seeing how they're able to, if it's communication with their players, uh, what their what their philosophies are, how they run their practices, install, things like that. And I think we can learn so much. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of, of Richie Gray who works yeah, within rugby. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, he's brilliant. He's got his five fights. I mean, that has, has totally changed my my way of thinking when it comes to tackling and actually, you know, we, we always watch the first, what, four games of, of the NFL season. And we're like, gosh, nobody, nobody can tackle what is happening. But when you actually break down a tackle and look at it that way, I mean, it's, it's incredible where you see someone might be going wrong, you know, whether it's the preparation, accelerating their feet, however that looks. And that has been huge, you know, going into my new role with linebackers, in, in Germany, that's something that I'm going to install with them too, uh, just to help them be able to break down themselves. 
because that's the other thing. We've never really had that formal breakdown of, of what tackling, where a tackle goes wrong, where it goes well, things like that. Um, but also sometimes it's good for us to take a step back. And, you know, someone asked me the other day from rugby and it was a question where you think, all right, well, in football, you think this would never happen. But you think if you had to remove something from your day as, as a football coach, what would that be? You know, if you couldn't, if you weren't allowed to be on film for as many hours as we were and, and just kind of changing your mindset to think, well, what could I do or, or how could I get information across my players or, you know, just the way that people think outside of the box when they're not from within your world has really just helped me to be more open-minded and, and perhaps use drills from other sports. So I'll cross over some Kabaddi drills into my football because, actually there's still that whole read and react element of things. And um, yeah, so I've, I'm just trying to be more open-minded and, and more mindful of how other sports operate too, because they're the best at what they do for multiple reasons. Just like in American football, we like to be the best at what we do. Phoebe, you mentioned uh, being able to um, earn the Bill Walsh uh fellowship and the last question that I ask every coach who comes on this podcast comes from uh, one of my favorite coaching books Finding the Winning Edge by Bill Walsh and and it's if you look at all the things you do as a coach what would be the one thing that you point to that really gives your players the winning edge Ooh, I like that one Um, I'm going to have to say Oh man, I want to say energy, but I, I also think actually humility falls in there because I'm not afraid to admit when I don't know something and therefore my players aren't, aren't afraid to do that. So they ask more questions, which means they understand more and they're able to play faster on Sundays or Saturdays, whatever day that might be for you. So I really like that question. It's probably something I need to think about more, but if I can go for, for energy and humility, that's my, uh, that's my go-to here. <laughs> Those are good answers, Phoebe. What's the best way that our listeners can connect with you? Um, if you like to reach out to me on Twitter, um, Phoebe S underscore PT, or on Instagram, Phoebe underscore Schechter. But also, I'm more than happy to answer emails or any way that I can help or connect people, which again is Phoebe.Schechter at gmail.com. So yeah, any of those works great. Well, Phoebe, I, I appreciate you taking the time, and best of luck to you in Germany with the Potsdam Royals this next season. Thank you so much. It's been great to speak with you. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the coaching coordinator podcast that's at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on twitter at coach k grabowski